Life Audio. Hello, and welcome to Kindness Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, as we get started, I have a question for you. Yes. Did it hurt? Did, did what hurt? When you fell from heaven. Oh, Because gosh. you are an angel. Ew. That's the worst pickup line ever. I'm so grateful. That is not how we met. <laughs> you need a better pickup line. I like how you did all the research for this particular episode and the topic, and that you did not see that coming, even still. No, because you asked me before we started recording, I have a question for you. And then it was not this. It was like an actual normal question. It was a question if you had seen a particular show. Yeah, that's more normal than what you just did right now. That show was Touched by an Angel. I had not seen Touched by an Angel. I well, heard about it. Well, today's topic is Touched by an Angel. False. And we're going to dive into it in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, so this show, Touched by an Angel, you claim to have never seen it, but I'm sure you've watched an episode or two. It ran for like 10 years. I feel like it ran from like the early to mid-90s up until like the early 2000s. Was it just on like normal bunny ears cable? It's not cable. What is it? I don't know what channel it was on. it starts getting fuzzy, and so one of you. No, it was on CBS. Go. You could you could have watched it with your bunny ears. It was it was on. It was this was a network show. Well, maybe our TV didn't get that channel. I, I'm pretty sure that it did. I don't know. We only had like four channels. Yeah, but CBS was one of those. One of my four channels. Yeah. Okay. So it was this. Well, I never trio saw it. of angels. I was at school. Who lived among us, and there was like the older angel and the two younger angels, and she would send the angels out on an assignment. And they would meet these people that were at an important crossroads of their lives. And the angels would teach them a lesson. And the person wouldn't know that they were an angel. But in the process, the angel themselves would also learn a lesson about life and faith and yeah, being a good person. This isn't something I watched. My mom often would it was watch fantastic cops theology. Let me tell or you. Or America's Most Wanted. America's those Most were, Wanted cops in America's Those Most were my childhood shows, not touched by an angel. So you could find all your relatives or Okay. <laughs> I mean, I had a lot of nightmares as a child and it now all makes sense. Maybe I should have been watching Touched <laughs> by an Angel instead. Right. Yeah. It was that and the other thing that I remember being a part of my childhood was like all the chicken soup for the soul kind of books 
where it was like each chapter was like a different uh anecdote like story. or story or something like that and a lot of them involved these fantastical angel stories like this person got in a car wreck but the way that the wreckage of their vehicle looked there's no way that it could have gone that way or whatever and the only explanation was that there was an angel that stood in the gap and allowed them not to die in that car crash and then they gave their life to Jesus or something like that was Chicken Soup for the Soul a Christian publication? I think so. Oh. Hmm. I remember I don't know. It's all kind of it. hazy. It's just, it's fun. Yeah. And there was like a bunch of them. There was like Chicken Soup for the for Soul, the teenage, soul, teenage Soul, for, for the, the Mom soul, soul, for the, the whatever soul. Brother Soul, Sister Soul. Yeah. There's a lot of souls. And they're all having Chicken Soup. They all needed Chicken Soup. <laughs> Couldn't have thought of a high, more high quality dish. For your soul and chicken soup? I think it, chicken what soup... What about the filet mignon for the soul? That's okay. what I want. No. Chicken soup is supposed to like warm you up and make you... What about the you... ahi tuna for the soul? All right. No. Chicken soup, everyone can relate to it. It makes you feel warm and fuzzy and cozy. Not these other dishes you're I making. have no such feelings about chicken soup. You have weird aversions to chicken soup. No. When I was a kid, my mom would make just this vat, this cauldron... Of here we go, <laughs> barely seasoned chicken noodle soup, and whenever you saw that cauldron go out onto the stove, you knew like, dang it, this is what I'm going to be eating for the next six days. It's this dry, unseasoned chicken in some like weird broth. Anyways, that's not the topic for today. We want to talk about angels because there's a lot of misconceptions about angels out there. There's a lot of weird popular culture stuff and i feel like every time there's a biblically inaccurate reference to an angel an angel takes a shot of whiskey to calm their nerves and so we want to stave that off today and make the angels feel better about their representation in the evangelical church and in the world i don't know what you just said but yes we're talking about angels and the fact that there are a lot of misrepresentations about angels out there and some of them, I didn't quite know where the roots of that misrepresentation came from. Uh, so it's just really interesting. The more you look at angels in scripture, the more you realize how wrong we have understood <laughs> angels. Wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's just talk about what does the word angel itself mean? So very simply, angel means messenger. They are actually the same exact word. So yeah. angel just means messenger. Yeah, that it's word is not... angelos. And it's actually interesting because because it's the same words, there are interpretive challenges in the New Testament in some minor places. Like, is this talking about an angelic being, a heavenly being, or is it just talking about some dude who brought a letter? Right, because it's the same messenger word. itself. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Um, what we have done is we've often morphed just every description that we can see about a messenger from the Lord in scripture and framed that into the way that we understand angels to be today. And for the sake of this conversation and trying to draw clear distinctions about what we're reading in scripture, I thought that it would be good for us to talk about spiritual beings. So rather than giving this official title of an angel, 
Let's just talk about the spiritual beings that we see within scripture. Describe them. Find out, you know, where in scripture we see them. What's happening? What are their roles? What can we gather about this spiritual being? And then it's it'll be interesting to see how a lot of these spiritual beings are just what we classify as angels. But again, we have morphed all of these things into like one depiction of an angel. So we have this kind of blanket term that we use, angel, to refer to all spiritual beings. But depending on which spiritual being, they aren't referred to as such by the scripture itself. It's just referred to as that specific being category. Right. And there is no overarching term for what we would classify as angels from a biblical sense. And so that's why we probably call them all angels when we're just referring to any non-human, non-deity being that exists in the spiritual realm. Yes, exactly. So there are different types of spiritual beings. Um, Oftentimes, again, we see these as types of angels. And this is the way that I've heard it framed. So you'll probably become more familiar as I like use the term. So the first one is cherubim. So I'm sure many of you out there have heard of this term cherubim and you are already imagining in your mind's eye a picture of a cherubim. So what is a picture of a cherubim in your mind's eye? Um, It's a little white baby. Yep. With little white wings that are probably too small to bear its own weight. Um, It's usually got brown hair and it's, yeah, it's usually like, it's usually facing you butt first, like looking, <laughs> looking back at you. That's usually the depiction. So you can see the butt and the wings, but it, it's looking back so you can see his face. Right. So we often think of cherubim as cute, chubby little babies with wings. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That is not the depiction in scripture at all of cherubim. It, it'll it be fun to We probably read. could have figured that out by deducing the fact that that cherubim is like resting on the shoulder of like a white Jesus in yeah, the image. So, I mean, so yeah, there's, there's but clues. The depiction that we have today, which is just what you described actually wasn't seen until the Renaissance era. And really this picture that is often seen in Western art is uh, more accurately fits the depiction of the Greco Roman God Cupid or Eros. So the small plump winged boy that is actually Cupid or Eros, which is a Greco Roman God. That is not a cherubim at all. So it's just, which explains why they're always naked. Right. Because it's it's like a Greco Roman -Roman thing. thing. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to read a very long set of verses. It's going to be 14. No, less than 14. I know I'm nervous for you. I'm looking at it. That's a big paragraph. It's a big paragraph, but I do think it's important to read the whole thing. Popcorn Tamra. Yeah, exactly. It's important to read the whole thing. And this is the first description that we read of a cherub. We hear about a cherub in Genesis, but there's no description of it. You're kind of just like, and the cherub were there guarding the Garden of Eden. And he had a cool sword. And then like you just move on. So in Ezekiel, we actually see like a description of this. And so you tell me at the end of this, if this sounds like a cute, fat, that's not right. A cute, chubby little baby with some wings on it. Yeah. Why are you fat shaming infants? Okay. Ezekiel 1, (laughs) 4 to 14. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. 
The center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire, what looked like four living creatures? Enter the cherubim. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, on the left, the face of an ox, each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, and light, lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. All right. I hope you were sketching that out as you listened. We're going to let you process that for a second, and we'll dive back into it in just a moment. Okay, so you just read this lengthy description of a cherub, what the cherubim, so cherubim is the plural it's of cherub, plural. which is adding to our confusion. Uh, but you, this description, and this thing was nuts. It was it crazy. Is. How did we, like, okay, we understand we got from Cupid. That's how we have our understanding of a cherub. Are there places uh, where we can find a artistic rendering of a cherub that is more accurate other than, Oh, I'd seen recently relevant magazine. They recently had this series of images of, um, biblically accurate mm -hmm. angels. It was horrifying. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't know if it is actually accurate, but, uh, ancient middle Eastern art is, is far more accurate of what a cherub would look like. So they often would have a lion or a bull, that has the face of a human and wings, but the body of an animal. So that is far more accurate of what we're reading in Ezekiel than the chubby baby with the wings. So where do we see the cherubim in the Bible? What is like their role and what is their function other than looking super weird? Yeah, those are good questions because apart from just seeing you know, figurines of an angel, like what do we actually know about these spiritual creatures that um, obviously have made a big enough impression on our society and culture and history because we have um, continued to like make figurines and art out of them, right? So they, they have, they hold something in scripture that should matter to us. So in regards to cherub specifically or cherubim, again, plural, uh, the first appearance that we see is in Genesis 3.24. And this is when God places uh, two cherubs outside of the Garden of Eden to prevent Adam and Eve from returning back to the Garden. So Genesis 3 is the fall. Sin has entered into the world. Adam and Eve have now been banned from the Garden. And God places two cherubs outside of the Garden to guard 
and protect the garden at this point. But again, in Genesis, we don't see a description. We don't see that until Ezekiel. Um, But depictions of cherub we can often read are in relation to the Ark of the Covenant. So when the people of Israel were instructed to build the Ark of the Covenant that would sit into the holies of holies, on top of the Ark of the Covenant would be this lid, which is the mercy seat. And then on top of the mercy seat would be uh, two cherubs. And essentially the idea of that is they are guarding um, like this sacred space. Um, but and if you've seen Indiana Jones, you know they're very effective in, at in that job. protecting, yeah. Or read the Book of Judges. <laughs> There's some stuff that happened that was Indiana Jones-like with regard to the covenant in the Book of Judges. Right. So the Ark of the Ark of the Covenant is described as the footstool of God's throne. Uh, so again, the cherubim are carrying and guarding the throne of God in the tabernacle and in the temple. Uh, cherubim were painted and engraved everywhere to remind the priests that they were working in God's presence. So I guess in some way they they are designed to be intimidating creatures. Like they are warriors who their responsibility is to guard and protect. Um, we can see cherubim referenced in Genesis, Ezekiel, Isaiah, first and second Kings. I think there's like second Samuel revelation, certainly. Um, but cherubim ultimately are seen as helpers of God and are often used to guard a sacred space. Got it. So that's the cherubim. And then the other type of angels that I've heard of, is seraphim. seraphim. Cherubim and seraphim. It's like the third verse of that song. Yes, I don't know. That's all, sure. I think that's how I learned those words was from that song. Oh, I'm sure I've heard that song before, but it's just not coming to my brain. So seraphim, probably a lesser known uh, category of an angel. And it's very likely it's lesser known because we only see it referenced once in scripture. And that is in the book of Isaiah. So these spiritual beings um, are different from the cherubim in description. The seraphim have six wings and the cherubim have four wings. So that's really the only distinction that we've been given within scripture that gives us clarity on, oh, this is a different spiritual being. They are not the same. What we're reading about is not the same. Um, And so in Isaiah 6, I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's another like long set, but I'm going to read it. I think it's important. So Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Popular worship song. These and days. the train of yeah, his exactly. road. I was waiting for. Cue, I was resisting the urge, and cue, then you paused. Cue Dale's song, song time on the podcast. So, train of the road filled the temple with Above glory. Him. Oh man, they need to turn the volume down on that one. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces, two that covered their feet and two that they used to fly with. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So what do we know about the seraphim from here? This is, is this the only place this the seraphim is? This is the only place. So, not much. There's not a whole lot we know about the seraphim. Um, other than, you know, the large distinction between the cherubim and the seraphim is the count of wings. Um, but since this is the only place we see it in scripture, obviously this is important enough for um, it to make it into this vision that Isaiah had. I think it's safe to say that the role of the seraphim is really uh, just to sing praises to the creator. Like all of the creatures that fill the earth will bring glory to God. And you see this like really dramatic depiction in Isaiah's vision where they are, they are, they're not standing they're They're flying about and singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And as you think of the cherubim and the seraphim being very similar, where it's not exactly man is not exactly animal. Like it's this, this kind of mix up mashup, I guess of God's, God's creation and like singing praises to him. So because of the limited information, it's again, safe to say that their role is, is purely just to sing praises to the Lord and to usher creation into that singing of praises. Yeah. There's, so there's the cherubim, there's the seraphim. Then there's another, the ophanim, which is another one. This is the one with the wheels, which always stood out to me as strange. So in Ezekiel 1, starting in verse 15, they're described, As I looked at these living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to have been made uh, like a wheel intersecting a wheel, and as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change in direction as the creature went. The rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes around. So there's eyes on the wheels. And when the living creature moved, the wheels beside him moved. And when the living creature rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So the spirit of the angel was in the wheel with the eyeballs, apparently. When the creature moved, they also moved. And when the creature stood still, they, all, they stood still. And when the creature rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And what did you say the name of? Hold up. Ophanim. And is that in the text? I think that comes from the, the Hebrew word uh, wheels. Okay. So I think that literally just means wheels. Often. Yeah, because what you just read came out of, so where we read about the cherubim and the description of the cherubim is in Ezekiel 1, 4 through 14. And then you read Ezekiel 1, 15 on, I don't know how many verses you read, but it's interesting. So in those chunk of verses, that would be two different creatures that are being described. The cherubim and then the ophanim. Ophanim yeah. literally just means wheels, I think. Yeah. 
So that's where we get the English or that designation that I think is used a lot in, I think the, the Catholic tradition has a pretty developed angelology. I don't know if that's the right term, but they have a, a doctrine of angels and the often I think are a, a part of that, that as a distinct uh, angelic creature or heavenly creature. Right. So the difference in that though, would be if we're, we're going with the term angel as messenger, oftentimes people would just see the, what is the name? Off, Ophelim. Ophanim. Ophanim. Would see Ophanim as just as like a, a spiritual being, not necessarily someone who is delivering any kind of a message. Right. Yeah. Where the cherubim, you have something happening in, in terms of message being delivered, a message, you know, as they're protecting and guarding. Um, and then the seraphim are ushering in the praises and glory. So I think this one would just be slightly different and not being a subcategory. Got it. I just felt like we couldn't not talk about the wheels with the eyeballs. Right, but you did not explain about anything about the wheels with the eyeballs. Because I don't understand it. Like, <laughs> all I know is that the wheels in the sky keep on turning. Okay. Who knows where yes. I'll be tomorrow. So. um I'm getting lots of song references on this one. There are many. From a 17th century hymn to Journey. That's <laughs> That's the breadth of musical influence I bring to this podcast. Thank you. Um, another spiritual being that we read about, and this one certainly comes under the classification of angel because it's called an archangel. So I think that's safe to say this is an angel. Um, uh, again, we don't know much else about this description, um, but it would let us know that there is some type of hierarchy or ranking within the angels that are created. We know there are numerous amount of angels. Oftentimes in scripture, it says too many to count. So certainly there's some kind of a structure happening Yeah, that this um, term gives way to. And we then hear about an actual angel's name, which is Michael, the archangel that is in scripture. So, um, but we don't know much else about that role. Yeah. And that term is interesting too, because it's literally archangelos, which translates over nicely to archangel, the Greek word arche meaning chief or boss or head and angelos meaning messenger. So it literally means like chief angel, boss messenger, however you want to put the synonyms in there. It's a it's an angel that's in charge of some other stuff. Yes. And we only see Michael listed as an archangel um, in scripture. And he, it, anytime you see him, he is like in battle in some way. So he's either like carrying out the mission of God. You see that in Daniel. You also see that in Revelation. So um, it's probably appropriate that he's like in charge of other angels as he's like leading this battle for God's mission. Right. And he's actually only one of two angels that named. are named at all in the Bible. Him and Gabriel is the only other angel, whether good or evil, that we actually know their given name. Yeah. In Revelation, you have something that says like... um the angel of, um, gosh, it's not the angel of death, but it's, I should look this up before I start rattling things off in my head. But I think it's probably more of a title rather than an actual name of an angel. Yeah. Every other time you, you get in an angel, it's, they, they are referred to by their function more than by their personality. So there is something distinct about, you know, Michael and Gabriel being named when even Satan himself, we don't know his, his name, his name because that's given. a title. It means the adversary 
Um, and there's a lot of that's why that's why there's a lot of different ways to refer to who we understand to be the devil or Satan. That those are all titles we don't actually know his name, which I think is like the ultimate like diss from God. It is. He's not. He's even like gonna I'm not even going to tell you his name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I looked it up. It's just the angel of death. So again, it's title rather than a name. Also a Slayer song, I think. Yeah. Uh, so the last kind of category that we have are fallen angels. Um, we do read about that in scripture. And these are the angels who attempted to overthrow the throne of God, um, being led by Satan, which, again, Satan's not a name. It's just what he does. <laughs> He's adversarial. Uh, but I want to just read those two verses because often, I've read a few books that that really have a robust understanding of the fallen angels. And um, I remember just thinking, wow, why was I never taught any of this information? And then when I actually went to scripture, it's because none of it's there. So people make a lot of assumptions and fill in a lot of details about what happened. Well, it's not that it wasn't there. It's that there was a passage in Isaiah and a passage in Ezekiel that from early on, there was a interpretive school, which was allegorical. And so there were these passages talking about uh, different foreign kings that were evil and that were going to fall and things like that. And they were interpreted by um, different theologians in church history as referring specifically to the devil. Um, but there's not really, if you're using, you know, a hermeneutic that, that we would be comfortable with, that doesn't really hold water. Uh, and yet it's become a part of, you know, a lot of the common parlance of who Mm -hmm. Satan is. Mm -hmm. And, um, an interesting thing about the fallen angels in, that's different from other created beings, mainly like humans and all other creatures and even the other angels is we read in Matthew twenty five forty one says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So I've often heard of this too. Like hell was never meant for humans. Like God did not like have that as this backup plan. If things go south, I'm going to build this. Um, and that's like, We've done a podcast on hell and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, you can just go to kindnessproject.com, search hell. We also have some stuff we've written on the devil. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've done a podcast on him, but I know we've written no. about him. Uh, but you can search the devil. I think there's a, a resource there that will help you kind of wrap your arms around some of this stuff too. Right, but it, it, I mean, Satan and demons essentially really are fallen angels. Um, so they would have been these created beings that would have fit in, into some of these other categories that we understand to be within scripture about messengers or created spiritual beings for the glory of God and the flourishment, um, even the growth of humanity. But of course they chose a different path, which also goes to show you that with the power and authority of angels also comes this ability to choose in the same way that, as humans created in the image of God, we also have the agency of choice as well. Yeah, and it's interesting too. We don't know much about the mechanism of that. Right. Is it like a, a singular choice is placed before them? Or are there still more angels falling? Like, are there other angels yeah. that are, you know, quote unquote, backslidden or whatever? <laughs> um, even are there more angels that are being created or born? Mm-hmm. How, you know, how are they? Do they procreate? Like, I don't know, like all this, all well, this kind of stuff. I mean, we know they're not married. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, because Jesus did say they won't be married like us. But or he, they yeah, married, as he's but, talking about us going to heaven, he's talking about the angels not being married. But does that mean that they don't reproduce somehow? Or are they just mm. all created? Yeah. You know, ex nihilo, you, like, or you have a is, lot was of there questions. like a set amount of angels at the beginning of time that God created at once? Like, we don't know any of that stuff. We don't. So you're asking a lot but of I'm questions curious. that we're not answering on this podcast. But I know, but when I when I get to heaven, I say, <laughs> Jesus, I, I got some questions. Let's, These are the questions you're going to ask. It's about angels. Uh, well, um, that day, I have different you, categories of questions. Yes. Uh, so there are the like, general things that we can see in scripture about spiritual beings. Uh, and these are more particularly when we see people encountering angels. Are they encountering cherubim? Are they encountering, what is the other one? Oh my gosh. I was going to say Seraphim. sapphire, but sapphire is not right. The sapphire angels. Yeah, are they encountering fallen angels? Like, how can we put categories onto these? And unfortunately, we do not have all of those answers. Like, we don't have nice little boxes to stick everything into. And we need to remember that scripture was not written so that we can, like, understand angels right even as we see the appearance of angels the cherubim the seraphim um even when we're talking about the fallen angels the wheels the purpose yeah the purpose of inserting these things into scripture is not so that we have a better understanding of angels it's all ultimately pointing back to to god and his desire to redeem and um restore humanity and so angels get to play some part of that. Um, so I just wanted to like talk about some general things that we know. So again, we don't know the distinct category of every spiritual messenger that we read about in scripture. We don't know um, even some of them, if they have descriptions, a lot of the times when we see someone encountering a messenger of the Lord, their response is often like bewilderment, fear, falling on their face, like crying. And the angel often says, do not be afraid. So maybe these are cherubim. I mean, that would be a pretty terrifying sight to come before you, right? Yeah. Some crazy looking thing pops up into my bedroom in the yeah, middle of the night. Nope. To deliver a message. He says, do not be afraid. Like, why the heck not? Would I not be afraid? <laughs> right. But uh, we often read that. People mistake angels for humans, so it's also possible that they don't have wings at all, and they come in this form that looks just like a person, but some type of a glorified body similar to what we see Jesus having um, during the ascension, where who was with him on the Mount of Olives when he ascended, and they were like freaked out when they saw his ascended body. Who are you talking about the transfiguration? Yes, sorry. Yeah, that was Peter, James, and John. Yeah. yeah, they were all there at the Ascension, but at the Transfiguration, the transfiguration. when they, kind of the curtain was pulled yep. back and they saw a bit of his glory, that was uh, Peter, James, and John. And Peter was like, it is good that we are here, Lord. Yeah. So, thank you. <laughs> Scratch that. Not Ascension. Transfiguration. But maybe there's something similar there where they these messengers of the Lord aren't, aren't cherubim, they aren't seraphim, but they look like man because they've, you know, been revealed in this way. But they might have some type of a glorified state that causes people to be terrified right like or yeah maybe what their their real form was veiled right somehow right um yeah so it's it's just really 
interesting even where we get like the halo and the wings we certainly don't read anything about a halo in scripture um the wings that we do read about are in relation to the cherubim and the seraphim we don't ever read about wings when wings usually have eyeballs on them too yeah so (laughs) we should start putting that on the halloween costumes everything has eyeballs everything has Mm -hmm. wings and eyeballs and Mm -hmm. weird kind of animals yes um yeah, so we don't see this depiction of, again, the cute chubby baby with wings um, or really any depiction that we have artistically um, of angels. You just don't see that represented in scripture. So over the years, we they have... They don't have six-pack abs and... No, we don't read about that. <laughs> it's usually how they're depicted. They're usually... It's crazy because they're usually depicted like the Greco-Roman ideal of beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, another interesting thing is people never sought the spiritual messengers of God. So people never were trying to go find an angel. No, they were always super intrusive. Yeah. Then <laughs> the angel just kind of walked in. But the roles of spiritual messengers that are clear um, is that they do participate in carrying out God's plan. So in Luke 1, 11 through 19, you see Zachariah, who is greeted by an angel, and he's terrified. Um, but the angel is coming to deliver a message that Elizabeth, his barren wife, is going to have a child, and this child is going to be important. In Acts eight twenty six, you see an angel appear to Philip and tell him, "Hey, don't go down that road. Go down this one instead." Um, in Matthew, is that the one where he gets teleported? Yes. Okay. In Matthew sixteen, like let's just make small of that, right? Uh, in Matthew sixteen, go read it. It's insane. <laughs> it's really good. In Matthew sixteen twenty seven, um, it says that when Christ returns, he's going to come with an army of angels, like they're going to join him. So you see the role of these spiritual messengers, whether you know we want to call all of them angels or not, but they are all carrying out God's plan, um, or they're glorifying God. Like in Isaiah's vision that we read earlier, um, that was really clear that their their entire role in that vision was just to bring glory to God. We see that in Psalm 103, 20. It says, Bless the Lord, um, ye his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, hearkening the voice of his words. That ye know. really threw you off. It did. Maybe I because there's a famous rapper with that name. <laughs> no, it's the translation. I usually don't use that. Uh, so um, carrying out God's plan, bringing glory to God. And then lastly, the roles that we see these spiritual messengers carry is protection. Um, which really goes back to the cherubim, namely. In Psalm 91, 11 through 12, says, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your feet against a stone. Um, people, people often use this verse and one later on where Jesus is talking about angels caring for children. Um, and then they take that really far to say that every person has a guardian angel or every Christian has a guardian angel. If I do, mine's been sleeping. <laughs> I'm out here struggling. Like where he be? <laughs> um, so we don't have a real clear understanding in scripture that everyone like receives a guardian angel. I think that's one of those like comforting things that we've, um, kind of built up throughout the years that everyone gets some kind of a guardian angel. Yeah, it's more based on 
superstition sounds kind of mean, but really it's kind of like a, a collective yeah. traditional yeah. superstition really that right. that's built on. And even this verse, uh, Psalm 91, 11 through 12, you see it, it used when Jesus is in the wilderness and being tempted by Satan. It's then that the angels came to comfort him and care for him. So it's actually... Psalm 91 is really supposed to be this foreshadowing of what's happening with Jesus rather than us deducing that we all get guardian angels. Right. There's just kind of another angel, like, fun fact and, I guess, crushing truth that it I cannot see clearly in scripture that you have a guardian angel. I'm so sorry. You said, fun fact, there's no angel looking out for you. <laughs> Make better choices. No, I just, yeah. And and really that kind of going off on a tangent and not going into even sort of something a bit more robust is, guys, we don't need angels. Because the God of angel armies is always by my side. Aye. But you really think like Jesus, we don't need an intercessor. Like we have Christ. And then when he left, he said, I will send you a helper who will be living in your heart, who will be with you every moment. That's the Holy Spirit. So who is literally we, God. Yeah. He's living literally in the, you. literally the dude who made the angels. <laughs> exactly. And so we're all like warm and fuzzy about the fact that we have guardian angels, but why aren't we so warm and fuzzy about the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in us? Sorry. I mean, it's true. Okay. You got us. Okay. Our role with angels. Like what is, <laughs> like we read about angels. <laughs> Sorry. I really got passionate about that because it's like we're trying to find these ways to comfort and like create a balm for our souls. But Jesus has already done that for us. Like he has already given us everything we need. And maybe it's because angels are exciting and they're powerful and they're spiritual beings um, and they're like outside of us. Hmm. So maybe that's where the comfort in a guardian angel comes from versus the Holy Spirit is like inside of us and guiding us and leading us. And really in many ways, uh, not that everything rests on us to make good choices, but like we kind of, like the, the Holy Spirit is using us as the agent to move in, instead of just like, oh, here's an angel to fix all your problems. Right. Okay. I'm done. I'm moving on. Sorry. <laughs> you look bored over there. <laughs> uh, so we've talked about like the different descriptions of these spiritual beings, how they have interact with people in scripture. Uh, so what we can really know to be true. And I guess in a lot of ways we have demolished all of the things that we've grown up knowing to be true of angels. Um, but then what is our like relationship and our role with angels now? Because angels are still real, right? It's not just the Old and New Testament. Angels are still among us, <laughs> even though we can't see them. One day we will judge angels. Yeah. That's all we're told. We don't, there was no elaboration given. That was it. Yeah. We're like, Great. What's the first what, day I don't your even guardian? Know what, like you're just like a a jury of humans. Yeah. No, I don't. That's that's definitely not what it's going to be. But I don't. Yeah, I don't know what that means. But we I will judge either. angels. Yeah. Uh, so I think kind of what we can see in scripture um, 
about our role is we should be cautious in like actively seeking out these messengers from the Lord. Um, it's not as likely in America, North America, where people say they, you know, received a message from the angel. But what is that faith? Mormonism? Zint. Mormonism started because Joseph, Joseph Smith, re- received a message from an angel. I could have this wrong, but I think he claimed that Gabriel came to him. Yeah. Yeah. So Sorry if you're Mormon and you're listening to this and that was wrong and that wasn't what you actually believe. Just send us an email. Yeah. We'll correct I it. can't remember. Um, but we should be cautious about receiving messages and seeking out messages from these um, spiritual messengers of the Lord. And even in Galatians 1.8, it like warns us against what kind of messages we receive. So even if we, meaning like the disciples, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. So, and obviously Paul is using hyperbolic language, right? Because why course. would an angel from heaven come, come and teach down. you? Right. But it is to say that you there is some kind of possibility of communing with angelic beings. There is some, or even like you you say, oh, I received this message from an angel, so therefore, like no one questions it. That's just truth. But Paul is saying, no, if that contradicts anything within scripture, like that message is false. That is a false gospel. And so if someone's coming to you and saying they received a message from an angel, I mean, don't roll your eyes at them. Don't judge them. Um, Like maybe the Lord is working in them and we shouldn't be against God using the spiritual realm to like communicate with us in whatever way or to... Um, encourage us and reaffirm things. But if anything, any message being delivered from anyone, spiritual or not spiritual, is counter to the gospel, then it is false. And um, yeah, so we just need to be on guard against that. And I think we definitely need to be aware that there are spiritual beings out there instead of writing all of that off and saying that was only the way that God interacted in the Old and New Testament. Like, there is a spiritual world. Like the Bible is clear that our enemies are not one another, right? Like there is something apart from the physical beings and physical world that we see that is happening around us every day. Um, and that's not to cause us to fear, but it's, it allows us to be aware of reality. Yeah. And I think even um, just the idea that there is supernatural things happening around us on a continual basis like in Ephesians, I think it is, uh, Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the ruler of the power of the air. Yep. It's this idea in, that they certainly had in the first century that angelic beings, spiritual beings, good and evil, were in the air around us just in a dimension that is not visible to us. They probably wouldn't use the word dimension, but that's the only word that I could use to describe it from my modern understanding of Mm -hmm. things, that there's this interdimensionality to the space that we're occupying and that um, sometimes angels will cross over to our dimension at the behest of God or at the behest of Satan uh, to interact with the the physical world. Um, And that's a very real reality. And Mm -hmm. That sounds weird, especially to people who were raised on, you know, empirical data as king. Yeah. Uh, but that there is this supernatural reality around us. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, exactly. We shouldn't fear it, but we also shouldn't be trying to like bring that reality to us and pull back the curtain. God is in charge of that part of things. And like, we shouldn't be trying to do that. Um, and with that, we also need to hold angels in their rightful place. Like they shouldn't be beings we worship. We shouldn't idolize them and worship them and long for their power and authority. And interestingly enough, like when we are in heaven, it says that we will have greater power and authority than even the angels. So at some point we will be even greater than the angels. So this longing to be this great spiritual being will happen on the other side of eternity, but not at this point. So just interesting to like read the truth about angels and just make sure we keep them in the rightful spot that God has revealed to us. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kinosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.